down in May But I know I'm gonna change that tune When I'm back on top, back on top in June Good morning, Journey. Uh, We're in week number two of this series that we're calling That's Life, where we're gonna allow the Apostle Paul to walk us through the book of Colossians together. In the 16th century, there was a Renaissance astronomer named Nicholas Copernicus. That's just fun to say, isn't it? Nicholas Copernicus. But he challenged the then belief that the earth was the center of the universe. Up until that time, everyone thought that the earth was the center because they saw the sun go up and around. They assumed that the earth was the center. They assumed that we were at the center of the universe. But Copernicus, in what they call the Copernican Revolution, helped us to understand that actually the sun is at the center of the universe and we, the earth, revolve around the sun. Here's why I share that. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Colossians, he wants us, in the same way, to have somewhat of a Copernican revolution. Not that we would, first, for the first time, understand that the earth revolves around the sun, but that we would begin to understand that our life revolves around the sun. Not the S-U-N, the S-O-N. And if we're gonna understand what this life is really about, and how we're to live this life, we need to understand Jesus is at the center. But here's what's challenging, isn't it? We like to be at the center of the universe. We want everything to be about us. From the time that we came into this world, people took care of us. If we're a baby and there aren't people around us taking care of us, making us the center of the universe, We don't survive. We want to be the center of the universe. But the problem is, is that oftentimes we don't outgrow that. When we are two, when we're a baby, we need that. But when we get older, we need to grow out of that. And oftentimes we don't. I like to be the center of the universe. I had a good friend of mine that whenever he would watch me behaving in ways that allowed him to know I thought I was the center of the universe, he would do this. He would say, here's Bob, here's the world. I hated it when he did that. And the reason I hated it is because I knew he was right. I wanted things to be about me. Paul's gonna challenge that. If we're really gonna understand what this life is all about, we need to understand it's not about us being at the center It's about Jesus being at the center. I want us to think just a little bit about your life. This is you. 
And now here's what we're gonna understand about your life. There's a lot of things that you are trying to manage in your life. We've got time. Every one of us is trying to manage our time. We've got money. Every one of us is trying to manage the money that we've been given. We've got relationships. We've got family relationships that we're trying to navigate. And sometimes that's not that easy, is it? And we've got other relationships that we are trying to navigate. In the book of Colossians, we talked at length earlier this year about the relationship things that we need to manage in our life. We are managing sex. We're managing our sexuality. Maybe we're managing ministry. Maybe we're engaged in some way in ministry for Jesus. And if you are out there today and you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus is also a part of your life. But here's where Paul is gonna bring some challenge to us because for many people, this is what their life looks like, even as someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus. Jesus is just one of many things in their life that they are managing and navigating. But here's what Paul wants us to understand from the book of Colossians is that for life to make sense, Jesus has to make a move. He has to make a move to the center of our life. Everything needs to revolve around him. And like I said again, life won't make sense until we do that. I hope you heard last week when Brian Todd did a great job talking about how we live a life that is worthy of Jesus. But today, we're gonna answer the question, is he worth it? Is he worthy? And the Apostle Paul, what he's gonna do is he's gonna start with the why behind. Why would I make that move? Why would I move Jesus to the center of my life? Now, Simon Sinek wrote the book, Start With Why. The Apostle Paul, he was way ahead of his time because he understands if you really want to move people, if you really want to motivate people, if you want to move people toward change and transformation in their life, you don't just tell them what to do. You tell them why. And that's exactly what Paul's going to do in the last half of Colossians chapter 1. He's going to tell us why. He's going to give us three reasons to move Jesus out of the peripheral of our life to the center of everything in our life. The first reason he gives us is that Jesus is the center of creation. Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In those three verses that I just read to you, it's probably one of the most clear, the most direct 
places in the Bible where it talks about the deity of Jesus. He is divine. He is God. And Paul is saying this way, he is the image of the invisible God. Another way to say that is if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. If you've seen how Jesus lives his life, you know how God would live his life. And Paul tells us, Jesus is the creator. He is the creator of all things. Let's just get our mind around this a little bit. If we went all the way back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, where we see this creation account where there's let there be, and there was, and it was good. That voice, that word that is creating, that is the voice of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. All things, all things were made through him and for him. He is the ultimate purpose of all things. Let's just think a little bit about the magnitude of that creation. Do this with me. Imagine if you could, the distance between the earth and the sun. It's bigger than my fingers are apart right now. It's further than that. But if we could take that distance, 92 million miles, and we shrunk it down to the thickness of this piece of paper right here, 92 million miles, that's our scale. Did you know that the nearest star to the earth would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. That's just the nearest star to the earth. And now let's do this. Let's think about our whole galaxy, the diameter of our galaxy. Using that same scale, 92 million miles is the distance between the earth and the sun, is this thickness of this piece of paper. The diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high, our galaxy. And our galaxy, friends, it is just a speck of dust in the known universe. Small. We are so small. He made something so big. Now, I've got to ask us this question. Is this the kind of person that we would invite into our life to be our assistant, to just come along. Jesus, you come with me. You do what I want to do. No, this is the kind of person that we invite into our life to be our God. He is worthy to be at the center of our life. But you know what is amazing? He is the creator, but this creator who made everything that we see and that we can't even see that's beyond our wildest imagination. This powerful creator who also made you, who also holds you together. He is the one that holds all things together. The reason that you get to take your next breath is because he allows it. This God came to earth. The unthinkable. The creator of all things became part of his creation. He became visible. He became knowable so that he could reveal himself to us. And he became vulnerable to all the things of this earth and this life. He experienced all of it, the joys and the suffering. He is the God. 
He is the center of the incarnation. Here's how the apostle Paul says it. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. Verse 19, hear this, friends. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness, all the fullness of who God was, dwelt in him. The creator dwelt with us. He wasn't a hologram. He wasn't some kind of a ghost. He was flesh and blood just like us, so that he, in a very personal way, could identify with us. The powerful creator humbled himself to become a personal savior to us. He humbled himself. And when the glory of God came to this earth, it landed in a way that it created ripple effects. When this kind of God lands in our life, there needs to be a life quake in us. It's not just someone who comes to be on the periphery of our life. He came to change our life. Jesus wants all of our life. He wants to create a life quake in us, create ripple effects in every area of our life. But he didn't just come to reveal himself to us and to be an example for us. He came to remove the thing that was keeping us from actually having a relationship with God. He came to be the reconciler. He is the center of reconciliation. Here's how Paul says it. He says, and through him, which is Jesus, he came to reconcile to himself all things. Reconcile all things, all people, everyone, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. Jesus made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul tells us what our state was. He said, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now, but now, he has reconciled, I mean, he brought into right relationship, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Reconciled. What was broken has been made new because of what Jesus has done for us. Our sin, our guilt, our shame, Jesus took that upon himself. He bore the penalty for our sin. He took that from us and he gave us what? He gave us his holiness. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us his standing as a son before the father. What theologians often call the great exchange. He took what he didn't deserve and gave us what we didn't deserve. The great message of the gospel. Here's what I fear sometimes, friends. I fear that we have heard what I just said so many times and in so many ways that it doesn't continue to move our heart the way that it should. We get in some ways, I believe, desensitized to the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us. 
It's like sometimes I imagine what it's like when I'm walking around Bozeman. We live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. But oftentimes I'm not thinking about it, recognizing that. But it's always interesting to me. People come from the outside and they come here. Just this last week, some people came from back east and they were looking around Bozeman and it was a crummy day. It was cloudy. You could hardly see anything. They were flabbergasted at the beauty And, you know, having them say that made me stop and actually take a look. Wow. This is beautiful. This is amazing. And I get to live here. Friends, we need to be the same way with the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. Don't become desensitized to the magnitude of his sacrifice for us. It is beautiful. And it makes him worthy of our lives. Worthy of everything, that we would never hold anything back. He is the center of reconciliation. And I just think it would be tone deaf if I didn't right now talk a little bit about the need for reconciliation. We need reconciliation. This reconciliation that Jesus brought for us, that he bought for us with his blood, we receive that. But it's not just for us. Those who have been reconciled are asked to be agents of reconciliation in this world. Church, we have to be agents of reconciliation in this world. We will not be overcome by evil, but we as the church will overcome evil with good because when Jesus is at the center of everything that we're doing, that's what flows out. Good will overcome evil. I want to recap where we've been with the Apostle Paul because he's telling us why. Why would you do this? Why would you move Jesus from maybe the peripheral of your life to the center, everything about him? Because he's the God of creation. He's the center of creation. He made everything. He made you. He knows you. But he also is very personal. He wants to know you in such a way that he came to this earth and became knowable and vulnerable so that you could know what he is like. And out of his great love for you, he became the center of reconciliation. And Paul just gets to the place, when you know this, that he's the God of creation, the God of the incarnation, the God of reconciliation, you trust him. He's got your best interest at heart. He's got you in mind. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, always. It's always in our best interest to put him at the center of our life. And that's what Paul's response was. He said, in everything, I'm gonna put Jesus at the center. And here's what I want you to make a mental note because all of these issues that we're talking about right here Paul is gonna begin to address those later in the book of Colossians, but he wants us to understand right up front, this is why Jesus needs to be the center of your life. He is the center of everything. And here's how Paul said it. He is the center of our reorientation. We reorient our life around him. Colossians 1.23 says this, If you continue in your faith, and when we talk about our faith, we're talking about our trust in Jesus, our willingness 
to put him at the center of our life. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this beautiful gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, listen to this, have become a servant. Paul just says, Jesus comes to the center of my life. I serve him in all things. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If this life is gonna make sense, I bow my knee to him in everything. I put my trust in him in everything. And this call, this invitation has always been the call. When Jesus invited people to follow him, it wasn't about being on the peripheral of their life. It was about making him center in everything. This is how Jesus said it. When he invited those closest to him to follow him, Luke 9, 23, one example, says, then he said to them all, he said this to everyone, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Here's what Jesus wanted us to know, what Paul wants us to know. It's a daily decision. How do we put Jesus at the center of our life? We die to ourself and we put him at the center of our life. We see that in the lives of these disciples. They left everything. They dropped nets, everything that they knew and they followed him. They walked out of tax collector booths and followed him with everything that they had. Did they get it right all the time? No. Sometimes they were scared. Sometimes they were confused. But they always followed. They followed him to the end. Friends, that's what Paul is telling us we need to do if this life is gonna make sense. We've got to follow Jesus in that way. That means that we dethrone ourself from the control center of our life and we put Jesus on the throne of our life. It means that we give Jesus veto power around everything in our life. He calls the shots. It means that we push all our chips in him to the center of the table. We go all in and we go all out for the sake of the one who is our all in all. It's about everything. It's about making him the center. I was wrestling in my own life. You, you can't preach on these things without looking at your own life. And I just began to ask myself, what would I say to my church? What would I say to my friends? If we had to answer the question, what is the center of your life? How would we know what is really here? Is it Jesus or is it something else? This is how I imagined finding out what that means for me and for you. We would sit down and we would begin to ask each other some questions. These are the questions that I think are the most important. How do you spend your time? What do you give your discretionary time to? What does your schedule look like? If you wanna tell me what's important to you, if you wanna know what's important to me, look at your schedule. A second thing I think we need to look at is we need to look at our talents. Every one of us as a follower of Jesus has been given natural talents, spiritual talents, and the expectation to be a part of this body 
that is the body of Jesus, means that we invest those talents in the lives of others. What are we doing with our talents? What are we investing in? I think about our treasure, our money. What are we doing with the resources that God has given us? Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you wanna know what your heart is about, follow the money, follow the treasure. What are the things in your life that your money just flows to easily? That's your treasure. I began to think about thoughts. What do I daydream about? When I just have the opportunity to sit in Lindley Park in my hammock, just thinking about anything, what are the things that I'm thinking about? What are the things that I'm dreaming about? Is Jesus even on the radar screen anywhere? Another question that we need to ask is, what do we talk about? What are the things that come out of our mouth? Jesus also said this, it's out of the overflow of our heart that our mouth speaks. You wanna know what's in your heart? What do you talk about? And as I spent time this week wrestling these questions down for myself, everything in me would want to come to you and just say, when I was wrestling with what's at the center of my life or what is keeping me from making Jesus the center of my life, I wish I could just tell you, well, there was just this one little thing. There were so many things, so many things. It was a tough process to engage in. And I would tell you all of them, but we don't have time today. But here's one of the things that I came to the conclusion. The thing that I want at the center of my life more than Jesus often is my comfort. I wanna be comfortable. I want an easy life. Following Jesus, it takes risk. Following Jesus, it will stretch you. If you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you will be uncomfortable, and that is so hard for me. I just want life to be easy. But how do we do that? How do we take those things that are keeping Jesus from being the center of our life and begin to move Jesus into the center? It's one decision at a time. One decision at a time, that's it. And maybe right now, you know right now the thing that is keeping you, keeping Jesus out of the center of your life is a big decision that you need to make. It's gonna take all the courage that you have to step toward that. Jesus would say, do it, come, take up your cross and follow me. Maybe for you, there's not a big decision on the horizon, but it's a lot of little decisions. One after another, moment by moment, day by day, choosing to dethrone ourselves and to put Jesus on the throne of our life. What Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. Decision after decision to make Jesus the center of our life. And although it can be challenging and it takes a lot of courage, you have no idea what could happen in your life and through your life if your life were fully surrendered to Jesus. 
If he was the center of everything, all bets are off when you put all your bets on Jesus. When I think about some of the greatest moments in my own life have been in those places where I was willing to take risk, when I was willing to be uncomfortable. And you know, when I read the scriptures, I see the very same thing. I would love to talk to Abraham and just say, Abraham, what was that like when you had your son Isaac ready to be slaughtered, holding the knife, and then God provided, God showed up for you. Faith building, God at the center. David, what was that like when there was that taunting giant on the other side of the valley? What was that like when you knelt down and you started to pick up some smooth stones? I bet maybe your heart was pounding, but your trust was in him and you saw God show up in an amazing way. Peter, what was that like when you were out on the boat in the storm and you said to Jesus, Jesus, if it's you, I will come. And Jesus said, come. And you pried your just white hands that were on the side of the boat and you stepped over the edge and you walked on water to Jesus. Peter, what was that like? Our lives change when we make everything about him, when we put him at the center of all things. But here's what I've gotta be really honest with you about. Most people won't do that. Even in the time of Jesus, most people did not do that. When he got to the end of his life, There were more people that were calling for him to be put on a cross than there were people that were lining up to follow him. Most people don't do that. One of the most famous of those is a story that we often refer to as the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, he had some things navigating in and around his heart. He was wondering some things about life. And so he shows up to Jesus And he begins to ask the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when we hear eternal life, sometimes we think that he's asking, how do I get to heaven? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how do I have a full and meaningful life? Not just after this life, but life now. Asking the same question that the people in the book of Colossians are asking, that Paul is addressing. What is life about? The rich young ruler wanted to know. And Jesus' response to him was, keep the commandments. Obey me. Do all the things that God is asking you to do. And the rich young girl here is kind of like, yeah, 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 I've kind of done that my whole life. And Jesus said, there's one thing that you lack. He said, sell everything that you've got. Take that money. Give it to the poor. And follow me. Jesus was addressing the thing in his life that was keeping Jesus from being central. That story isn't just about money. It could have been anything, I believe, in the heart of the rich young ruler that was keeping him from Jesus and Jesus would have called him out on it. Don't let anything keep you from making me first and foremost in my life. I think about that rich young ruler a lot. We don't know what happened to him other than when Jesus called him to do that, it just said he walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth. He was unwilling to make that decision to put Jesus at the center. 
And I wonder, because I've got to believe that somewhere along the line, that rich young ruler probably end up being the rich old ruler. What were the things that haunted him in his life? Did the sound of Jesus' voice saying, follow me, did that haunt him throughout his life? That he was unwilling to give up everything to follow Jesus. He was one decision away. But he held his hand. Instead of doubling down and going all in with Jesus, And I just bet that there was regret. Here's what we've got to understand, friends. I don't know what the decision is that might be standing in front of you. I just know what it is for me. But we are one decision away from a changed life. One decision away from moving Jesus to the center of our life, or at least more toward the center of our life. Might be a big decision. It might be a small decision, but the invitation of Jesus would be, make that decision. Make that decision to follow me. Maybe it's a salvation decision. You've never put your faith, you've never put your trust in Jesus the way that I'm talking about. You've never made him the king of your life. I invite you to do that. Make him the king. Ask him to come into your life and make you the kind of person that he wants you to be. Big decisions, small decisions. But here's what you need to know. He is worthy. He is worthy of any decision that you make to put him at the center of your life. Friends, he is worthy. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't know what is happening in the hearts of people that are hearing my voice. Jesus, but you do. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these truths to the deepest places of who they are, that there would be something that would be moved in them as they think about the magnitude of who you are, that you are the center of creation. Jesus, you are the center of the incarnation. You weren't just willing to be a powerful God at a distance. You are a personal God who came to this earth to show us how to live. Jesus, and your love moved you to be the center of reconciliation. You did what we needed you to do so that we could come into a relationship with you. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of our reorientation, making you the center of all things. Jesus, we give you veto power. We want to go all in and all out for you because you are our all in all. Jesus, it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. Amen. I asked Brandon to sing a song with the band for us today called Center. And I have no doubt in my mind that as Charlie Hall wrote this song, he had, first, he had Colossians chapter one in mind. Let's sing that together and let's think about what is the decision that we need to make to put Jesus at the center of our life.
Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.